Matthew chapter 5. Today it is the second beatitude in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There can be no comfort compared to the comfort God personally delivers to your soul. Beatitudes announce blessings. Blessed and fortunate are those who have the kingdom power at work within them, for they will inherit the kingdom. Here in these scriptures, Jesus is describing the transformed life, the end product, what we will do when we begin to live out his life. Jesus tells them and us how to achieve a deep spiritual happiness and maintain that joy regardless of circumstances. These values and attitudes permit us to know now, the present time, the touch of God in our personal lives. It is the law which Jeremiah spoke in Jeremiah 31, in them a second nature upon their hearts. To mourn is to experience great sorrow. But here Jesus tells us the way to genuine happiness is through sorrow. Luke 6.21 is more direct. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Jesus is teaching a spiritual principle, and as usual, it has multi-dimensions, like the facets of a diamond. First, there is the human sorrow, like the death of a loved one, or major disappointment, like a failure of an important venture or ministry. Often, such a rock-bottom experience will drive drive one into a true relationship with the Lord. For the believer, persevering through such an experience in constant contact with the Lord has to ultimately lead one back into being comforted by the joy of the Lord. Physical ailments and painful conditions can be particular testing, but there is genuine comfort in the presence of the Lord. Isaiah thirty nineteen. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And in John sixteen twenty, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. A second area, and perhaps at a deeper level of spiritual involvement, which is devoid of self-focus, is the personal mourning about the evil of the world and the sometimes disastrous impact of nature's wild variances. For example, the recent floods in eastern Kentucky where fast-rising waters ripped children from the arms of their parents. Then there's the murder of 18 students and two teachers with potential help only a few feet away. There are several million people in the world who are facing starvation today. Perhaps this area of mourning could be retitled or, or listed as social conscience. Certainly, the book of James makes this a major issue. Follow the trail of Jesus. He preached, yes. But what does, he, what does Scripture tell us he saw when it, he did when he saw the masses? He felt compassion. He experienced sorrow for the people. Do we mourn for those that we don't know in tragedy? A raw evil crushes their lives. Our role as Christians must involve caring and providing for other people, including those who attack our spiritual beliefs, not just for brothers and sisters in the church. When the Black Plague struck Europe in the Middle Ages, 
it is estimated that more than one-third of the total population perish, as most of the unaffected people scattered to the countryside in pursuit of safety. It was the Christians who stayed, nourished, ministered to the sick, and died with the dying. Then there are men's souls. We must have a sharp appreciation for the evil at work in the world to keep people in darkness. Some of us have children or grandchildren that have been captured by the culture. And while they may be pleasant in manners and successful world standards, do you not look into the future and mourn for their souls? What about the souls of those outside the family or the brotherhood of the church? Some can be pretty disagreeable. However, until we truly mourn for those in darkness, I submit our efforts will not be motivated by love and will prove to be insincere or non-existent. Let me suggest there is a third and more personal level of involvement. It is lament for our own sin. It seems to me that some of us not only undercount but undervalue our sins knowing they are going to be forgiven. The following is a direct quote from the Valley of Vision, a Puritan book of prayers and devotions, and I quote, My sin is to look upon my faults and be discouraged, or to look upon my good and be puffed up. I fall short of the glory every day by spending hours unprofitably, by thinking things I do are good when they are not done to your end, nor springs from the rules of thy word. Keep me always in the understanding that a saint mourns more for their sin than do other men. For when they see how great thy wrath is against sin and how Christ's death alone pacifies that wrath that makes them mourn mourn the more. The promise of the second beatitude is comfort from God for those who deeply feel their sin, admit their sin, and mourn for the injury to the Lord. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Mm-hmm.